Happy New Year. It's Ricardo, and here's the lineup for the Popping Collars feed in January 2021. Betsy, Liz, Greg, and I choose our favorite Netflix originals on Popping Collars. Take two features the return of John White, who's coming back to talk about the changing world of internet news. It's a new year and a new set of movies for Greg and Betsy on Going On 30. They're looking back at the movies of 1990, beginning with Penny Marshall's Awakenings. Speaking of new things, The Sacred Six begins a new deep dive this month. Special guest Eric Matoyer joins Betsy to talk about six episodes of The Wire. Thanks for listening and keep those collars popped. I'm John White. I'm the podcast editor at Episcopal Cafe, and this is Popping Columns. Every time we meet, everything is sweet. Oh, you're so tender. I must surrender. My love is your love now. Welcome to Popping Callers, the podcast that to this day is still the longest running Episcopal podcast that we're aware of, at least, and also the number one Christmas podcast on Pandora. 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 Pandora or the planet. You were about to say the planet, weren't you? Well, (laughs) perhaps on the whole planet. We we don't know. We're a very yeah. successful podcast, is the point. A very successful Episcopal pop culture podcast. And welcome back. We're delighted that you're here. I'm Liz Easton. I'm the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. And with me are my co-hosts, Ricardo Avila. Tell us, what are you up to? What's going on? Well, I never get to go first, Liz. Thank you. I'm Ricardo Avila. I'm the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. We are in lockdown as everyone else is. We are doing well. Our spiritual offerings in the season of Advent are, <laughs> let's just say they're they're a bit of a desert right now. Uh, we're not overflowing with abundant programming. A quick recording note. This is January of 2021. Oh, so. <laughs> hey, my name is Ricardo Avila. I'm the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Maybe I shouldn't have said that about being a Christmas podcast either then. No, no but that's that. still our claim to fame, which just happens to be seasonal. <laughs> at the moment. We're going to be touting that all the way to Halloween. Absolutely. You know, that's why I should never go first. All right. So let me start over. Thanks, Liz. Take all, take all the time you need. Stop interrupting me. <laughs> Hi, Liz. I am Ricardo Avila, I think, and I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. Community is actually doing pretty well. I've had some nice, good news from parishioners uh, just about kind of how they feel connected. And so I'm feeling really grateful uh, for that in this turning of the year. That's awesome. And also with us is Betsy Carmody. Betsy, tell us what's going on with you. Not much. I'm here in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, head chaplain of the Episcopal High School, getting ready to hopefully welcome students back. I mean, that's our plan with kind of a mid-January welcome back, and we'll see how all that goes. Uh, But looking at life where we would normally be attending the inauguration, I don't think that's going to be happening. And so Mm. all that will be virtual, you know, like our Martin Luther King Symposium, which is always so amazing, will be virtual. So 
it does feel like how we used to be is feeling further away. But overall, we're doing we're doing we're doing well. We're doing well. Good. And Greg Knight. Hey, Liz. <laughs> Welcome to sunny Florida, where I'm the director of children and youth ministries at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach. Happy New Year. It's amazing how much 2001 feels like a couple of weeks before Christmas in 2021. 2001? It's 2021. Oh, my gosh. I graduated from high school in 2001. I think I flunked out of college the second time in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 2021. Well, speaking of lockdowns and time at home and... Los Gatos, California. Today's episode is about Netflix, but it's most more specifically about Netflix originals, um, which has really kind of become a deal for this company in the last few years. There are over 195 million Netflix subscribers worldwide, 73 million in the United States. There are now an estimated 126 original series and films from Netflix. Now that includes, I think, their international offerings, of which there's a lot. So there's just a ton of content on Netflix and a ton of kind of prestige content because we used to have to turn to the premium cable channels for swear words and nudity, but now you can just get it on your home computer. Netflix pretty much made possible the very concept of binging. It used to be kids way long ago. You had to wait for an entire week for your show to come on again, which means that an episode would end with a cliffhanger and you would think, oh my gosh, what are they going to do next week? How are they going to do this? No more with Netflix. They just say next episode, next episode. And um, more than 60% of Americans say that they binge watch shows now, which means that you might sit down and watch just hours and hours of shows all the way through. Not saying that I've ever done that. (laughs) So today's episode is just about the original content on Netflix, our favorites, themes that we've noticed, um, maybe some problems, some concerns about this behavior. Think of All it right. Now. It's a new year. So we have a new picking device. Ooh. What? Ooh. We have a, a wheel. We have oh a my gosh. wheel. Oh my Listeners. With our names on it. It's an wow. app. Spin it the wheel like, with our names on it. It's like we're on the prices right or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're on the prices I kind of missed that wheel. I wonder if it's, hang on. <laughs> I wonder if it's loud enough if I can get it on the microphone. Hang on. A hundred years ago, a dead. What was what? that? What was that? <laughs> that was Ricardo. <laughs> That's so weird. (laughs) I thought my wheel was talking. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was trying to look at Netflix originals because I I don't know what I'm gonna talk about. Okay. All right. Try the wheel again, Greg. Okay. (laughs) Well, it bummed Ricardo. Oh Uh, (laughs) Ricardo never gets to go first. He's always wanted to go first. Yeah, except for today. Uh, but that's all right. <laughs> Given that I am the rector of a church in Los Gatos, Netflix is in our very backyard, and I get to see the big red sign on occasion, and I wistfully dream of being a chaplain to the people there. Mm. I loved Stranger Things when mm. it first came out. This is Hawkins. 
I don't know the worst thing that's ever happened here in the four years I've been working here. It was when an owl attacked Eleanor Gillespie's head because it thought that her hair was a nest. 99 out of 100 times, kid goes missing. The kid is with a parent or a relative. What about the other time? What? You said 99 out of 100. What about the other time? The one! I think she knows what happened to him. And the girl? She can't have gone far. What the hell? You know Will? Do you know where he is? Hiding. From who? something that he shouldn't have. And it took me about a year or so before I started watching it, but it was such a moment in my life. I became the interim rector at St. Luke's in Long Beach, having been the associate, and I was pretty much in over my head, although it worked out well. Uh, and so I would come home at night, you know, like 10 o'clock at night, and one night, I just thought, you know, why can't I just watch something? You know, why do I have to go to bed now? It's not fair. And so I rebelled and turned on Stranger Things because I'd heard it was good. Well, five hours later, I had watched like five episodes or six episodes, and I could not, I couldn't go to bed. It was so good. Supernatural kids, you know, trying to get through a, a, a disaster. Um, and then like the 1980s, which was when I was in high school. So it was, um, it was just terrific. And I couldn't get enough of it. And so you're talking about binge watching, I hadn't really been a binge watcher before. And that was kind of my first real taste. And then I had a movie pick, but I actually don't know if it's a Netflix original. Roma? Yeah, it is. I yeah. Alfonso Cuaron. Mm -hmm. Was that a Netflix original? It, it was. Yeah, it was their first attempt to win an Oscar. Well, they did win an Oscar because Alfonso Cuaron won Best Director for that movie. You know, I liked it a lot. I didn't super love it, but it's one of those things. It actually stayed with me. It, it takes place in Mexico City, and I have relatives in Mexico. And when I have visited them, it's been like 20 years they have sort of the layouts of some of the houses. I mean, these are wealthier people than my family, but they have that middle hallway kind of uh, atrium kind of thing open to the, to the sky. So it rains in there and it creates a mood when you're indoors, right? Because this atrium is within your house. And I remember there would be thunderstorms when I'd visit in the summer. And I loved how you could be right at, you know, outside your bedroom was a thunderstorm raging but it was in your house. And <laughs> I think that happens in the movie at least once. And so it brought back those memories and I really liked Roma. Roma and Stranger Things are my two Netflix originals that I choose. Uh, I really do need to catch up on some things. So yeah, Netflix, go Netflix, go Los Gatos. I love Roma. 
just the opening shot, just like the, you know, the washing, washing the driveway and like all that stuff with the airplane reflected in the water and stuff. It's, it's really gorgeous. What I, what I like about, I don't know if I should like this about Netflix, but I think I do like it about Netflix is that they have all the money. So if you are an artist or a creator, you can go to Netflix and say, like Alfonso Cuaron, you can say, I have this really personal project that's a story of my childhood that I would like to make in black and white and put it on your website. And Netflix says, yeah, okay. (laughs) And they just give you money and you make these personal projects that would never make like $10,000 in a movie theater, but millions of people are going to see them on this Well, app, and that, that's so. so it's so interesting because we've got at the moment too, you know, cause we're kind of recording this around the holiday season. So we've just had this big announcement from Warner brothers that they're going to stream all of their movies. And yeah. so you've now got, instead of the inverse of what you just talked about, Greg, like I have this pet project, I'm going to a streaming service and they're going to help me make it happen. And it's going to get nominated for Oscars. You then have the inverse of being like, what do you mean you're going to stream this on a, on a platform? And so like now we're just making money for shareholders. And it's just, mm-hmm. I think this whole pandemic in terms of Netflix was already upending everything creative, creatively mm-hmm. and in, in both television and film. But now I we are still living amidst whatever this is going to become. We're still we're living in history right now, everybody. What will it be? And yeah. also there, you mentioned money. Their business model is debt-based. So they're actually like billions and they carry like billions of dollars of debt. Mm-hmm. What's that? <laughs> That's me in front of Hawkins Middle School, just for you, Ricardo. Stranger things. Yeah, from Stranger Things. Oh, that's Stranger Things. <laughs> Yeah. Hawkins Middle School. Yeah, it's outside Atlanta. <gasps> you can go by and, and check it out. Is you can get like merch. You can get like sweatshirts and stuff. This is an old middle school and they painted the gym. So this is the gym where the dances happen. Nice. Yeah. That was a good those are good picks though, Ricardo. Great job. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, thank you. Should we spin the wheel again? Yes, please. Wait, let me see if I can get the speaker close. Hang on. I mean, it's fair. Hello. Ta-da, Betsy! Yay! Ta-da. Yay! <laughs> All right. So, had to do some Googling, because I know that I, I watch so much on this channel that it does become difficult to pick. I'm afraid we're going to pick each other's. I know. So, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit, when I went through some of the lists and looked at things, that it actually did become a little bit uh, Greg from the last episode in saluting women of 2020. Because I think what I have really been drawn to are the stories about women that Netflix does. I mean, most notably, I'll talk about uh, Orange is the New Black. I've always loved getting clean. I love showers. I love baths. It's my happy place. Was my happy place. My name is Piper Chapman. Time to say goodbye. Thank you so much. I carried a suitcase of drug money once, ten years ago. Do you know about all this? She failed to mention the lesbian lover who ran an international drug smuggling ring. That's all good. You were a lesbian? At the time. Hey, go sit there. She's a nice white lady. We look out for our own. Our own? I'll take good care of you. I have a prison wife. What? 
Her name is Crazy Eyes. Did she rape you? No, she didn't rape me. But she held my hand. Chocolate and vanilla swirl. You look great. Your face is like all cheekbony. You're starving me out. What? I have to go to another prison. Like this is the Radisson and you don't like your room? I have been felt up, stalked, and called Taylor Swift. So can you please just cut me some slack? I didn't mean for any of this to happen. I think I need some time. What does that mean? I'm scared that I'm not myself in here, and I'm scared that I am. Nobody's gonna hit you harder than life. Not a guard, not a gangster, not even your wife. You're nothing like any of these women. I am no different from anybody else in here. I committed a crime. Being in here is no one's fault but my own. Just, it is a show that when it comes on, I'm watching all of them. And that was our first podcast episode, it right? It was our mm-hmm. first total throwback. Way to go, Liz. Total Easter egg, guys, for you true fans. <laughs> looking at you. But like looking at talking about stories of women, marginalized women, allowing a white female protagonist to be the lead into, you know, based off of, you know, the book and all of that. And, you know, Jinji Cohen, which who I love very much. And, and just allowing people into a world that we don't normally get to experience it has changed how i've thought about the you know school to prison pipeline women of color trans trans women and men and everybody kind of being caught up inside a system and how much the system is trapping and it was when did it debut i think it was 2013 i think it was in their first round of um of original content original programming and so this was around the time when you were having that new jim crow and all sorts of things like entering the conversation and talking about for-profit prisons i mean that they were able to use their stories the stories of these amazing women to tackle so much of what's happened culturally whenever you're going beyond the original memoir into other pieces of life and allowing the story to touch the immigrant story and the Latinx story and black stories and white stories. I mean, everybody that uh, the elderly that it felt so brought in and it was a show that I really felt got to end in the way it wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of movies along the, those same lines that bring both together women and, and also talking about the justice system is that when they see us, you know, for a long time, I think as white people, as a white person, I'll say that we were often told, you know, oh, well, you speak for the voiceless. It's like, no, no, no. We just need, they need the microphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they, and they shouldn't have to wrestle it away from you to get it. You should, you should pass it over because the stories are important and you don't know them because you don't know everything. So those are, those are some of the things that I, when I think about the impact of Netflix on the cultural landscape and on my own you know, insatiable want and need to consume stories from backgrounds and people who are not me, that they've done a good job lifting those up. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's a little bit like what Greg was saying before about how, yes, Netflix is throwing all this money 
and there's something a little tricky about that. But um, it, it it's more of that getting the, getting the opportunity to hear, like you're saying, all these voices we wouldn't necessarily hear. These narratives that I don't know about roller derby roller derby ladies. You know, is that glow? No, is it's that- wrestling. Ricardo wrestling. Oh. It's like <laughs> the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. I, I guess I'm a fan of Netflix, maybe because they're based in Los Gatos, <laughs> St. Luke's. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> so they're, they're my hometown people, but I like that. I, I, if you're going to throw money around, I can think of worse things you can do with it. I'm beginning to think you're sponsored by Netflix. Is a little, you're looking for that corporate chaplaincy job. So okay. good. It's time to spin the wheel again. Go spin it out. Here's the thing about the wheel. I don't know if it's going to pick you. It guys. doesn't filter. I don't. <laughs> it's me. It's, it's you. you. <laughs> I came prepared for this one, you guys. I was thinking about this a lot. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, because I, I felt like I had to prepare because as we've mentioned, like a hundred shows already, I was like, somebody's going to talk about my show. I so know. I need like a so backup and a backup and a backup. And so far, nobody's talked about my show. My favorite is Russian Doll. Sweet birthday, baby. No, life's short, carpe diem, et cetera, right? What I do in my time is my business, my choice, baby. <laughs> What was I just doing? What? What do you mean? I'm out of here. Are you going to tell me what's going on? I keep dying and reliving the same night. Does it hurt? Yes. You seem fine. (laughs) I'm not fine. I'm questioning my own sanity. We got to take the fire escape. I have a fire escape? I have to change my Airbnb listing then. What was wrong with the stairs? It's a long story involving multiple deaths. Yeah, this is much safer. I never lasted this long. Should I call my guy at Bellevue? Is it the nicest psych ward? It's definitely the closest one. Let me ask her! I look at you now, chasing down death at every corner, fighting your way to the light. Do you still have that in you? You really hate it. Some people call me crazy. Didn't you get the news? We're about to die. It doesn't matter. I die all the time. Oh, Oh, that was good. Yeah. yeah. I didn't finish it because it was too scary. Too scary. I was disturbed. Did you feel like you were, were you watching this during COVID or not during COVID? Not during COVID. Oh, because I I thought you might be trapped in the same (laughs) day and you were scared. Uh, Working off of Betsy's prompt of Orange is the New Black, uh, Russian Doll stars uh, Natasha Lyonne, uh, who's a co-creator along with uh, Leslie Headland and Amy Poehler, who created a show that is Groundhog Day with a very different protagonist than a Bill Murray type. Mm -hmm. You know, you start the show by thinking, oh, okay. It's the it's the Groundhog Day setup. This should be fun. And what it turns out to be is a treatise about addiction, how we get stuck in cycles, 
how we get kind of chewed up uh, sometimes, how we ignore the needs of others. And in a really kind of uh, wonderful way, it, it sort of uh, explores the story of um, Nadia as she dies over and over again and uh, doesn't know why. The thing about the show is that Nadia is a video game programmer on the show. She's like this, uh, she, she designs video games, she designs levels and stuff like that. She meets another person who's also going through this experience of dying and reliving the same day over and over again. What's his name? Alan. So she meets this guy, Alan, who's also dying and reliving the same day. And Alan is actually playing the video game that she created. And he says, you realize that you, you, you have a broken level in your video game. And she's like, no, I don't. I, I know that game like the back of my hand. I don't have a broken level. And yet, yes, there's this one part of the game where you can't get past it. You keep falling in the same pit and you die over and over again. And, you, it, and there's a bug and the bug has to be fixed. It's a very kind of show don't tell way of communicating a story, which is that like, okay, we're going to give you all the pieces and it's up to you to figure out how these things work together to create a narrative. Like, we're not going to tell you that it's a story about addiction. It may be a story about addiction. Maybe it's about something else. We're not going to tell you it's about look for the suffering of others and how can you repair that? How can you fix that bug? But these things are going to be in the show. So that's my favorite. It's Russian doll. But Natasha Leon just... Oh, kills it. Oh, she's wonderful. She, she's, she's so she's, wonderful. You just want to hang out with her, which is like the point of the show is that you just yes. want to be in her world. So that's your favorite Netflix show ever? I think so. You know, the thing that I have with Netflix, do you guys have this? Where it kind of feels like sometimes the movies and TV shows feel a little bit like they're like direct-to-video kind of. <gasps> like, I don't know. I Like, I was I was watching, the, what's the movie with Ben Affleck where they're like hauling money across the mountains? Okay, Ben Affleck must not be in my algorithm because I have not (laughs) even heard of it. Seen that? I I mean, but but saying direct to video for me, Greg. I mean that that's like a quality swipe, right? Well, that's what I'm saying is that there are some things that it's like, and maybe it's because you're watching it at home. Like I was thinking of, like, would I have felt differently about The Irishman if I had watched it in a movie theater? Would I have thought, oof, this is like the next Godfather? But it's like watching it at home. It's like, oh, this is long. Like, <laughs> let me stop here. I'll pick it up like tomorrow. I mean, it just there's there's kind of like there's a bit of stuff in Netflix where it kind of feels like it's a little bargain binny, like compared to like an HBO show. Or like, you know, like a movie that's in movie theaters, you know, it just kind of feels like it's off. And I think it may be the viewing experience. I think that may be how, but Russian Doll feels like a legit premium show to me in a way that like the other shows are a little, uh, Triple Frontier was my Ben Affleck movie. Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac. Who else? Oscar Isaac? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's and uh what's the guy from Sons of Anarchy? Charlie Hunnam. Oh, he's so yeah, it's like handsome. <laughs> all our boyfriends. But, I mean, I'm I telling mean, you, all of those and you're like, this feels like Diego, Charlie, everyone's on the show. All your boyfriends. So is that an example of a B grade uh Netflix offering that you're talking I about? I guess so, yeah. I think so. 
Yeah, so so there's a there's an aspect of Netflix that I think feels a little Island of Misfit Toys a little bit, like especially as you go down the queue, you know, and you get past the popular things and into the not quite as seen stuff. And I'm not saying that Russian Doll is that. Russian Doll is like oh no, Russian Doll on this collider like top fifty is like number eleven or something. Okay, yeah. Or no, so, even higher. I mean, maybe it's higher. I need to look. So R- Russian Doll is like towards the top tier, but it's also oh no, number like, eight, eight. Yeah, but what I, I guess what I'm saying is, I, you know, I always quote Liz. I actually quote Liz at work all the time, Aww. especially Aww. during the pandemic, where I'm like look, we've got to figure out how to do church and we need to do it in a scrappy way. Like we need to be a scrappy church. And I feel like there are some show like Russian doll feels like a scrappy show to me. Like mm-hmm. who's going to pick up that show. Right. But Netflix is like, yeah, come make your show. And Natasha Leone and Headland and Polar, they, they're like, yeah, we're going to make the hell of our show. Right. And I, I think that that's, that's really cool. All right. Oh. So this means it's Liz, right? Is it yeah. my turn? Oh my gosh. And nobody took my, thing because there's so, so much freaking <laughs> exactly we, there was no way we were going to overlap because there's so much content so i wanted to mainly talk broadly but i will narrow it and i won't talk forever about true crime documentaries which i think netflix does very well and um friends of the pod know that i like my true crime i think betsy likes her true crime I'm down with that all the way Um, And, you know, true crime was a genre that was very um, paperback grocery store for a long time. It was always directed at women. And I think like sociologically for good reason, women like to um, play out fantasies of uh, survival. And we're also the main victim. That's right. There's a lot of bad and I think exploitative true crime content all over the place. But Netflix has done some really, I think, smart and socially conscious true crime documentaries where like you come for the crime, but you walk away with a pretty, um, pretty rich understanding of the world and of the brokenness in our society. The Keepers is a great example that came out as um, you thought it was about the murder of a nun, which it was, but it was really about the sexual abuse and assault in the Catholic church and the massive cover up of that. Even Tiger King, which I, uh, you know, I'm hopelessly sincere. And so when people watched Tiger King as like a joke, I did not watch it that way. I like, I was, I very seriously engaged with Tiger King. And to me, it was a really smart series about class and sexuality, you know, it's a, it's a crime doc, but the one I want to talk about the most that I think had the most, um, was most impactful for me actually was making a murderer. The people that were close to Steve knew he was always happy, happy, happy. Always wanted to make other people laugh. (laughs) They didn't dress like everybody else. They didn't have education like other people. The Avery family didn't fit into the community. Stevie did do a lot of stupid things, but he always owned up to everything he did wrong. I'm doing a a good life until all the trouble started. Penny Bernstein was everything that Stephen wasn't. So just think of the two of them side by side. There was no real investigation done by the sheriff's department. The sheriff told the DA not to screw this case up. He wanted Avery convicted of this crime. There isn't 
one iota of physical evidence in this case that connects Stephen Avery to it. In fact, the sheriff was told by the police, you have the wrong guy. Stephen Avery spent 18 years in prison for something he didn't do. 18 years. 18 years. DNA had come through indicating that he had not committed the crime. Law enforcement officers realized that they had screwed up big time. We were getting ready to bring a lawsuit. $36 million. Manitowoc County itself and the sheriff and the DA would be on the hook for those damages. They're not handing that kind of money over to Steve Avery. I did tell him, be careful. They are not even close to being finished with you. Do we have a body or anything yet? I don't believe so. We have Stephen Avery in custody, though. Are you kidding me? The disappearance of Teresa Halbach remains a mystery. Mr. Avery's blood is found inside of Teresa Halbach's vehicle. Steve, everybody's listening. What do you want to say today? I'm listening. If convicted, Stephen Avery will spend the rest of his life in prison. We found a key. That key was scrubbed, and his DNA was placed on it. This is really strange. What's going on here? Hallbach's last stop Monday was at Stephen Avery's home. If he did this, maybe it was good he was in prison all that time. Everything I've heard him say hasn't been the truth. It was extraordinarily disturbing. We went through this 20 years ago, and we're going through it now again. In this criminal justice system, good luck. You are probably the most dangerous individual ever to set foot in this courtroom. The truth always comes out. It's a 10-episode documentary, really a passion project, again, for the two directors and producers who made it. And it's the story of uh, Stephen Avery, who is a, a man in Wisconsin who was tried and convicted for rape and ended up serving 18 years in prison, but was then exonerated by DNA evidence. So he was wrongfully convicted of this rape. Well, two years later, he's tried and convicted for murder. He is sentenced to life in prison. He claims that he is innocent and that he's been set up by the state of Wisconsin, basically. It's just a really interesting true crime documentary. But the thing that was impactful for me was his nephew was also arrested and was sentenced, maybe not quite as long, but for a very long time to prison, really young man, and absolutely gave a false confession. Like he was absolutely manipulated into giving a false confession. And it was the first time I had heard about coerced confessions and had trouble believing them because you think um, I would never admit to something that I didn't do. If I was in that seat, I would never do that. And But you watch it unfold and you realize just how powerfully manipulative the police can be, not always are, but can be particularly with vulnerable people, which this young man was. Anyway, I guess the point is that for me, the impact of a you know flashy crime documentary was that I will never um, think of uh, confessions the same way. I will always be suspicious of vulnerable people being investigated for crimes. Um, and, and I get the sense that I think because, like Greg said, they're passion projects for the directors, they're not necessarily exploitative, although some of them probably can be. They gain a lot of trust for the subjects of the documentary, and that opens up this world. 
it makes you think about like like when they see us that they chose to go a dramatic route on that even though it's a real life crime story and there's a great documentary on the central park yes and like to have that emotion in the room on that or even um how they've handled crime in unbelievable Mm-hmm. with uh, Merritt Weaver and, and Tony Collette and rape and, and survivors and all of that, that it's, as we've talked to more this year about voices in the room of also having the voices of victims in the room. Speaking of, yeah, so it's not a documentary, but Unbelievable, I think, is one of the best series I've ever watched. And yeah, it's yeah. based on a true story. And f- one of the things that stuck out to it for me, for our purposes, is that one of the characters is a person of faith, which is never portrayed in especially television of this kind where her faith appropriately and beautifully informs the work that she does as a detective. It's a great show based on true story. Unbelievable. Anyway, um, making a murderer. Sometimes like if I'm in a hotel or something and there's cable TV, I'll just flick through the channels and there's always at least one or two of those uh, cable TV still happens, right? Oh yeah. And it's all murder. I mean, it really is a ton of procedural yeah. Murder shows. And what your, what your um, choices make me think about is I wonder what makes something art and something sensationalist. Uh, and can it be both? Because like making a murder, I found myself and I'm from Wisconsin and I people, some people really talk with those accents. And I found myself laughing. The nephew or somebody called, yeah, the nephew calls his mother and the whole like initial conversation was like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah. And she said, yeah. <laughs> are, they, are they communicating something there? But that, that's really how they talk. And I don't know anyone who talks like that. And it feels very genuine. But at the same time, I'm sort of laughing at it. And so it, it's it's a little, it's interesting. Almost, I almost want to say Mindhunter, which I did see, feels more like art and less sensationalist, even though it's about serial killers. It actually, it feels deeper. And sometimes I feel like, not with making a murderer, although a little bit, what are we being voyeurs in some sense? I I agree. And I think that Tiger King was a great example of that, that like I was familiar with the Tiger King story because I've always been interested in people who keep exotic animals as pets. It's one of my interests. Um, I did not know that until now. Interesting. Welcome to South Florida, Liz. You would be right at home. Ohio Ohio (laughs) is, is a huge state. I've always been interested in that. Listen to a podcast about it. So for me, it was not, I found that, I was surprised and disappointed by how people were just like making fun of it and just like ripping these guys apart. And I really didn't see it that way. So I do think it's in it's part of it is perspective, Ricardo. I feel a little, I, I don't need any, you know, therapy right now or anything, but I'm feeling really out of it. Like mm-hmm. all the things you guys, I mean, and you've got kind of like, Oh, it's like, it's like the show, whatever you said, autodidactic or whatever. Ricardo, we watch a lot of TV. I mean, that should be clear. I hope. I don't want you to feel like you don't watch enough. Like the three of us watch a lot of TV. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's like you're, it's not just a hot, it's like a calling. And I'm, (laughs) I think we should approach Netflix. I should just go knock on the door and and (laughs) kind of talk about, hey, don't you want to do a show on the longest running Episcopal podcast ever? Right. (laughs) The four of us, man. I still think Father Rico is a show. 
Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Betsy, for such a rich conversation about Los Gatos' own Netflix Corporation. Um, And thank you to our listeners for sticking with us. You can find Popping Collars wherever you find your podcasts. You can find us also on our website, poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can find us some occasionally on Facebook here and there. You know, we'll pop in. And you can also find us on Episcopal Cafe, I think. Is that still true? It is true. Thank you, Episcopal Cafe. We love them for all of your Episcopal news and opinion needs. And um, you'll love them, too. You can check out some other cool Episcopal podcasts while you're there. That's all for Popping Collars this time around. Happy New Year, everyone. 2021. I mean. Wow. We're going to do it better. this year. We got it. We got it this year. We, we messed it up last year, but we got it this yeah. year. Yeah. We'll get there. And uh, keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. Pop, pop.